This is Erica in Edmonton. Shannon in Durham. And Chip at Coriana 6. <laughs> and welcome to the audio guide to Babylon 5, episode 71, Into the Fire. Hello again, lovely listeners, and once again, thank you for joining us as we continue our trip through the five-year arc of Babylon 5, and here we have arrived at quite the turning point of an episode. What is it turning toward? Well, that's going to have over, to wait It's all over, isn't it right, Erica? It's all over now. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> well, th- th- the truth about that is going to have to wait until spoiler space, but it is certainly clear that after this episode, things are going to have to change in a big way. And because it was so big, we have brought in some help to talk about it. Welcome once again to Mitchie Troda. Hello, everybody. Yes. Thank you, Mitchie, so much for coming back and joining us again. Now, this, when we talked to you with this uh, offline, this is one of the episodes that you said you would like to come back and talk about. Now, without revealing anything about what comes after it, why was this an episode that you wanted to discuss with us? It's just one of my favorites. It has almost all the characters that I love, and it's what it, it ties up a lot of the things that, uh, you know, they've been hinted about since season one, and it's all of the things all at once. The pacing is actually really fast uh, compared to a lot of the episodes that uh, I actually uh, really enjoyed. So I didn't expect to enjoy how there's so much momentum in this episode compared to some of the others that I tend to like. Yeah, well said. Chip and Shannon, how was your experience watching this uh, this one again? Uh, I... Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, I was just going to say, I had forgotten just how much they got crammed into this episode. Yeah. Uh, there's a Lurker's Guide uh, bit um, from the Usenet archives where, you know, somebody is just shaking their head going like, that felt like a two hour movie. And Jameis is like, it was, it was time dilation. <laughs> uh, but it's kind of true. It it after After sitting back, it felt like I had been watching a full fledged movie. In just this one episode. There was too much. And even summing up, there was too much. Mm -hmm. There's also so much scenery chewing. So much. (laughs) Delicious, delicious chewing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, When I think about Babylon 5, when when we talk about why... I think we've all talked about it sort of grabbing us in different ways. Erica, in particular, you talk about it being all about the characters and your love of the characters. For me, I tend to think about the overall plot and the story arc and all this stuff. So I was kind of expecting this to be plot, 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 plot. And I was actually preparing myself for being somewhat disappointed in the execution Listener, I was not, and I I rarely cry when I'm watching Babylon Five, but I put I, I I wiped away tears at a couple of points in this episode. I was moved by what happens with some of the characters, Londo in particular. Uh, we're going to talk about Peter Jurassic a lot, I believe. Yeah, this this episode pays off the Shadow War in a very convincing fashion. Uh, it resolves so many plot points, and yet there's still plenty of time for the characters to be themselves and to to and to really shine. And even in the space of a couple of lines, some of the characters who don't get a lot to do in this episode, you know, they deliver. So uh, this Captain, is Captain. They're pissed. 
Yes. <laughs> that is my favorite. That is my favorite. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, I am I am right there with you, Chip, and in, in having enjoyed this thoroughly. Um, mild spoiler for the uh, for our control group check in. Let's just say it didn't go over so well with uh, with the control group. I'm sorry huh. to say. Huh. Yep. In part because of Shannon, what you were saying um, about how much was crammed in, and Mitchie, what you were saying about sort of the the pacing and the momentum. I think it is it, Shannon. You actually said the words too much. I think, and that is exactly mm-hmm. <laughs> that's exactly where Stephen fell on this one. Okay. So we can get into that a little bit a little bit more. Uh, but why don't we why don't we dive into what you need to know uh, going into this episode? Space Station Babylon 5 and its return from the dead Captain John Sheridan and Minbari Ambassador Dlynn have been at the nexus of the Great Shadow War. They have united all the younger races of the galaxy to defend themselves as two of the oldest races in the galaxy fight it out. Unfortunately, those two races have firepower, the likes of which even all the younger races put together may not be able to defeat. And that brings us to Into the Fire, in which the big showdown between the Shadows and the Vorlons takes place. But it's not quite the firefight you may have been expecting, though there is some fighting, complete with some really funky-looking first ones joining the fray. In the end, the first first one, Lorien, convinces all the first ones to leave the galaxy with him. Meanwhile, Londo on Centauri Prime realizes he is the only thing on that planet that's still shadow-touched. And he briefly begs Veer to kill him so the shadows won't destroy the planet. Oh, yeah, and Veer finally gets what he wants. So that is uh, the shortest nutshell that I could cram this episode into, which really doesn't begin to <laughs> to cover all of it. Uh, I think it's probably best to start with, you know, the big plot. Holy cow, Vorlons versus shadows. Now they're gone. I just... This was this was kind of mind blowing. The first I remember the first time that I saw this. Uh, if you guys recall, my friends and I had only discovered the show back not that much earlier than this. So we'd been watching for a few months, and suddenly came to this. We had no concept of where the show was in the season. We didn't really have any concept of like what the, the show's, you know, five-year arc, any of that stuff. We were just watching a show that we happened upon and episode by episode here it was coming at us. So when this happened, we were just, you know, gobsmacked and standing up and cheering at the end of it and really, really excited. Uh, I think we might have assumed it was a season finale. Obviously, that's not the case. <laughs> but but it was, it was just a, a big sort of, you know, I want... I want to say gut punch, but that's not right because gut punch is bad. What's 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 the good version of a gut punch? A heart punch? I don't know. <laughs> it's a catharsis. Catharsis. Yeah, there we yes, go. Yes, that's a very good word. So anyway, it was it was a wonderful experience, and I got echoes of that watching it again. What was it like rewatching it, and then you know, c- kind of compare it to your original uh, experience watching this one? Um, Chip, how about how about you? What, what's the comparison there between then and now? I remember, and I think I mentioned this in Spoiler Space last time, uh, I remember feeling a little iffy about the line, get the hell out of our galaxy, and feeling like, feel, feeling pretty pretty damn good about the episode overall, but feeling like, you know, when when JMS has stuff to accomplish in Babylon 5, and he's got a lot to do in a limited amount of time, uh, subtlety sometimes comes out, goes out the window in dialogue and in other and in other places. So I like, like I said, I, I, I think, I think I remembered this episode as being a little more p- 
pedestrian than than I experienced it this time. There is some oddness to the episode, like uh, the scene with uh, Lorian and Ivanova on Babylon 5 was really intended to be in the previous episode. It is kind of weird that she makes this detour to Babylon 5 before rejoining the fight, and the reason for that is they shot the scene, they didn't have the time to to insert it in the previous episode, so they so they added these oh. extra lines of dialogue for Sheridan Delin to cover for the fact that they were uh, sort of backtracking and using some old footage. We've, we've talked about how this season possibly could have been the last and that some aspects of the plot were accelerated uh, to help JMS feel like he had told a complete story in four seasons, even if he wouldn't have necessarily addressed everything in his five-year plan. Some of these moving pieces, some of these seams are very evident, but the acting performances, it, for the most part, the, the, the powerful line, the confrontation between uh, Sheridan and Delin and the Four Lines and the Shadows, all this stuff gives me feels. And I was pleasantly surprised uh, this time because I'm usually the one who's a little more jaded about what I'm seeing. We had, we've had <laughs> sort of this reaction to Severed Dreams where plot-wise, you know, that was a really, really big episode for us, and we noted the accomplishment and how momentous the story was and all this stuff, but we also noted that it was kind of more pedestrianly directed, and it just sort of, its power came from what happened, not necessarily how it was uh, executed. Um, I think for the most part, your husband is wrong and needs to be divorced. <laughs> but then I'll lose my free health care and have to move back to the States. <laughs> All, all good things. Shannon, Shannon what, what about you? I'm trying to remember. Um, I think the first time around, I had the, the general uh, what now reaction, uh, because <laughs> mm -hmm. we had been doing the Shadow War for so long. And wait, what? what it's over? Wait, what? Uh, what next? Um, which, of course, we'll talk about in spoiler space. I think this episode overall holds up really well, uh, given given that JMS was having to scramble to put his contingency plan into action. Um, he was starting to assume he wasn't going to get a fifth season. He was moving things up a bit. But still, as far as his original vision, that pretty much meant, um, and this may be where um, Stephen sees what should have been, this should have been a two-parter. So there was going to be more to Into the Fire, part one, part two. So there was going to be space for a bit more to happen and develop. Um, and also, this entire arc was going to move a little farther, still in the first half of season four, but it was going to be a little farther along. And I think a little of that shows here, but still, the character moments. Uh, I had I had forgotten, silly me, that this was the episode that we'll get to it later, that, um, you know, the shadows are going after Centauri Prime. I mean, the Vorlons are going after Centauri Prime, and um, all of that happens. Um, mm -hmm. the, what I remembered was the fleet coming forward, gathering, and um, turning this giant, humongous space battle with the with the most wonderful special effects into a philosophical debate. And, you know, it's like, you know, here we're fighting and all of a sudden we're at a negotiations table, which is interesting. It is not the typical way that a science fiction show or any show that's, you know, dealing with a hu huge heavy conflict is suddenly going to put the brakes on the conflict 
and gather everybody around and talk it out. That's unusual. And I like how that makes Babylon 5 something of an individual that makes it stand out uh, compared to a lot of television. Mm-hmm. Now, Mitchie, remind me and the, the listeners, were you watching Babylon 5? You weren't watching Babylon 5 in its first run, or were you? Oh, was, yes, I was. Okay. <laughs> so, so you, so you were, you were in there, uh, like, like Shannon and Chip were having experienced the shadow war playing itself out, which I think is part of the reason my first time, I, I it didn't feel abrupt to my friends and I because we had just dipped in. <laughs> so we didn't know how long of a buildup it had been. We had we really didn't understand that. Um, so were you kind of on the same on the same playing field there as far as your reaction to it then? And how do you feel now? I think the reaction to it then was, you know, you, you the previous episode kind of like left you on a like, oh, you want to get to the next one because I just I remember you remember the previews that they had been showing where they were all like, oh, on the next Babylon 5 and then lots and lots of space battle shots and, <laughs> you know, those, some very good snippets of, char- of character moments. And I just remember getting to it and at that point, big space battles balanced with philosophical debates was like catnip for <laughs> me. Like, uh, looking at it now, uh, like, it's still a lot of fun, but I can see now where the threads are a little smushed together, where they could, you know, where the story could have afforded to take breaks to allow it to breathe more. And it's just really interesting being able to look at that and being like being able to recognize where tweaks to the plot could have been made and how it really should have been two episodes at the very least. But I still enjoy it. Uh, the parts of speeches that when I first saw it was like, woo, yay, this is awesome. This is great writing. And I'm looking at it now and being, oh, this is this is really <laughs> kind of corny. And it's really, I mean, just particularly Sheridan's line delivery, he was clearly enjoying getting to mug every single second out of all of the lines that he had. <laughs> and it's... This is my big damn hero moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is his big damn hero moments. And he actually, the thing is, like, Sheridan actually gets a couple of big damn hero moments, particularly, like, just this is the first one. <laughs> and I get to enjoy, like, I enjoy it. And it's looking at how he and Delenn get to have different big damn hero moments. And, you know, Londo and Veer get their big damn hero moments. Like, everybody gets a big, practically gets a big mm-hmm. damn hero moment. And that, on the one hand, I appreciate that. That makes the fan in me go squee. Uh, the critic in me kind of looks at it and says, I appreciate what you're trying to do, but it really could have been done better in slightly different ways. Yeah, it, you know, I figure this is probably as good a time as any to do the Steven check-in because it's actually it's it's much less detailed than usual. He often has a lot of things to say, as you know, about uh, about each episode. And at the end of this one, like I just turned and looked at him and he just he kind of looked disappointed and disgruntled like the two disses and then he dissed the episode um because he just (laughs) he really felt let down by it because there's all this build-up and then suddenly 
45-ish minutes and we're done. Like, we're done with all of it. It felt incredibly, incredibly abrupt to him, mm. um, which, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's one of the things that, that each one of you guys have sort of mentioned a, a little bit that it really, you know, could have been at least two episodes. And I don't, I don't know if he would even agree that two episodes would be quite enough for this. Maybe, maybe it would. But he, it, it just felt like a jumble. He had trouble actually parsing all of it because it happened so fast and mm-hmm. was just boom there it was gone um which i guess i can i can understand because it really you know this is the the pinnacle and he he was left very much um the pinnacle of the the shadow war stuff and then it just drops off and now he's kind of like he thought that it felt like jms was basically told you know hey you've got this one episode wrap it up Babylon 5 is over like it's just it's just done now and it was like a huge rush to get to that point he has no idea what is coming afterwards I mean he was able to when we were talking about it identify a couple of plot threads that are hanging like he's still kind of wondering what the heck is going on with Mr. Garibaldi and Mm -hmm. you know yeah they broke away from Earth but none of that actually to him seemed important so you know in, in comparison to what's what's been happening here so he just sort of feels like Babylon 5 is over and cannot un- he cannot imagine what where it's going to go from here and i think he was annoyed enough with the way that this came together so fast that he's less invested and interested in moving on to see what comes next because huh. he just doesn't have a lot of faith that it's going to be very interesting so i am excited to watch more with him to to see what he does think of where it goes after this but we shall say no more of that of course. until after the jump gate Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I can, yeah. I can, I can see where he's going. I, I can see where he's coming from. Uh, af- affection for a series always colors your reaction to it, uh, whether or not you mm-hmm. can paper over the problems. And uh, the thing that I like the most about this episode, and the thing that I was afraid would not come across as well as it did for me was that pivot the the episode we we've we've been building up to this episode so that you know in 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 the opening we have explicit conversations about how this this is the greatest fleet in history and it could never hope to beat the vorlons or the shadows in a in in a fair fight you know we've 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 known or at least had hints in the last couple of episodes that the solution is not going to be your standard shooting war. Um, and the pivot to forcing a confrontation and forcing the major the major combatants, the Vorlons and Shadows, to realize that they are ultimately in an untenable position is... It's either a letdown or an elegant surprise solution and i go for the Mm -hmm. latter yeah me too and i do but i do i guess agree after watching it again that had it been a two-parter with a little bit more room to breathe to kind of highlight that elegance might have that that would have been a, a better thing but i still personally feel like the you know, there, as I said to Stephen when it was over, there was no way they were going to win by brute force. So, you know, if they had stretched out the battle sequence, I would have been bored to tears. I mean, it, it looks cool, but 
battle sequences and I are, are not good friends. So <laughs> the the idea that they decided to, you know, make it a negotiation, the idea that Sheridan and Lorian had been trying to provoke the Shadows and the Vorlons into doing what they did, taking Sheridan and Delenn and sort of, you know, using them to to try to convince on one side and the other was I think elegant is a great word, Chip. That's that is a great way to describe it because it needed to be something that was not battle oriented, not force oriented. Um, I mean, I suppose they could have pulled some crazy trick like, you know, they mined the asteroids with with nukes. They could have done something Sheridan like and made it tricky that way. But I would not have felt satisfied as a viewer if they had had done something like that. This this worked much better in the way that the show had been set up by JMS. So so it it worked for me. Um, I'm curious how you guys feel about sort of the the visual realization of that decision process. We have Delenn on one side talking to the shadows and and uh, Sheridan on the other side talking to the Vorlons as, you know, we have every, the chaos side is depicted by all kinds of, of humans and aliens speaking different people every time. And the Vorlons are... Uh, a, a an unchanging woman literally frozen in a block of either ice or crystal um, all on kind of a black background <laughs> nice nice work for saving money there like that's that's, yeah. that's yep. great uh, set wise yeah, it, it uh, do you think that me. was effective Jenna? I, I think ultimately it was um an interesting uh notion as you said done very carefully with you know the the shadow side instead of special effects we're just going to have different people come in and represent uh the fact that the shadows want chaos the shadows are ever changing always pushing for something different um a couple of the reasons that that sold for me um was the way that the actors coming in and pretending to be shadows um carried it off i actually got a bit of a chill when Bill Moomy was doing his mm-hmm. part in that in that bit, because that's not Lanier. That is nothing <laughs> like Lanier. And, you know, it just, um, t- between that and the special effects of the skittering in the background, mm-hmm. um, really worked for me to feel like Delenn was being essentially, you know, assaulted from all sides by, uh, by these shadows. Um, you know, the Sheridan on the other side felt, felt right, um, I guess, um, remembering his connection to the Vorlons in the first place. So it sort of made sense that they would go after him and try to convince him. After all, mm-hmm. Kasha's been talking to him all this time leading up to this. Um, and to have him be able to circle the unmoving Vorlon as they as the Vorlon argues at him and he argues back, um, the direction and the staging of that conversation also worked for me as far as building up to the notion of, you know, and especially, and I don't know if this is maybe a bit of Stephen's disappointment or, you know, or uncertainty of the viewers at the time when this first aired, of having this grand galactic scale war reduced to the notion of your mom and dad are fighting and you got to pick a side. (laughs) Something so mundane and prosaic that I can see that maybe being jarring to some people. Um, It worked for me, mainly through the actors' performances, but but I can see that. Yeah, it was... (sighs) No one will ever accuse Straczynski of being subtle, of being too (laughs) subtle. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) <laughs> the, the symbolism he in he that his, was... He, he has his moments, but that's not his go-to strategy. 
right. No. And I mean, even looking at it now, it's like, wow, this is, this is, you know, he's not, you know, dancing around it. Like the imagery is right there. It's in your face. It's making it as obvious as possible. And as much as I enjoy the idea of Sheridan and, you know, be talking to the Vorlons and Delenn having that argument with, you know, the shadows, I kind of feel like that part in and of itself, I wish that had gotten almost an entire episode to Mm. just that discussion, because there were clearly so many nuances that they could have that you know, they could have dived into. And being able to see the reactions of the rest of the fleet, which we don't get to see, it's all boiled down to Sheridan and Delenn and Lorian and the crew of the White Star, but not being able to see how everybody else is reacting to the things that are being said. I really wish that had been there because I think that would have brought home how, even though it's, you know, mom and dad are arguing and you have to pick a side, it's, this is a family of, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands upon, you know, children who are, have to, you know, who have to make that decision and getting to see them realizing exactly what the stakes are and how they've been manipulated over the course of millennia, I, I think would have lent a lot more depth to just that sequence. And I'm a little sad that we didn't get to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we keep talking and I think that I I personally think that two episodes would have been too much for this story. I think that hmm. I, I, I think don't know. That I think that I think that there would have been, but I think that this episode, I, I think that this episode was too short for what it accomplished. I, I suddenly find myself wishing that this was a BBC program and not a, mm-hmm. an American commercial TV program mm, where they right. could have added fifteen minutes and just yeah. made At the least. made the episode the length that it needed to be. Yeah, because there were there were a few points. Um, there were a couple of spots where the, as you know, Bob exposition graded um, here and there, <laughs> which it was almost literally. I think I, if I remember correctly, I think I heard Ivanova saying to Lorian, as you know, and then she repeats whatever it is that the audience <laughs> needs to know. Um, so a little more time to be able to impart that information elegantly in true conversation, um, whatever, uh, that would have helped. And I think if they were going to excise anything out of that episode... Okay, so I'll, I'll retract my earlier statement. I think the battle into the negotiation, if that had been all that this episode was, I think that the, they would have had a little more time to do that. I fe- really feel like the sequence on um, Centauri Prime didn't get as much play as it as it really, really should have, mm-hmm. because there was a whole lot that had to be moved around in there. I mean, there's still the immediacy of... You know, Londo has to do X, Y, and Z, and he only has this much time to do it in before the Vorlons arrive. But that, I don't feel like there was a lot, you know, they really were able to give that time to breathe. We don't get, you know, we get that confrontation between Morden and Londo, but what happens after, we have to sort of rely on our imaginations. It's implied that Londo is still going to, you know, is going to do more to Morden, and I'd really like to know how he knew exactly what Veer had asked for because that's way too it's way too accurate for it to have been <laughs> oh I'm just guessing that Veer would really enjoy this like 
what did he put Morden mm-hmm. through in order to get that story out of him so he could give Veer what he had asked for? Hmm. I don't think we needed to see it, but a little bit more of that and seeing more of the maneuver- maneuvering that goes on in Centauri culture and Londo knowing that he was going to have to clean house, otherwise he was going to find a knife in his back or drink the wrong glass of wine or anything <laughs> You know, all all of those little things, I think, could have been, you know, they they got excised for time. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I will say that I think I, I chalk up uh, Veer, the, the specificity of Veer's gift to just happy coincidence. Your gift is Veer, your gift Veer is Morden is dead. And because we, and- we chop off the heads of of our traitors or whatever. Yeah, or that, whatever. that's kind of yeah. how I took it too, that yeah, this was but, a typical punishment, but because Veer but said it in the first place. But, um, but yeah, what it, but I, I do, I do take your other points. I, I think I personally prefer the pacing of the Centauri Prime stuff to the pacing of the Shadow War stuff. And why am I still calling mm. it the Shadow War? But, uh, <laughs> but different strokes. And uh, part of that is, probably my captivation with Peter Jurisic's performance. Mm-hmm. He was milking that for for all it was worth. And we don't get to see Londo be that emotionally vulnerable and realizing how deeply he's been played. And I think it was just, it's he owns that moment really, really well because he yeah. has nobody to play off of. This is all him. I also thought that bit was brilliantly directed to, to, to circle, to have the camera following him around yeah. the room like that um, in close quarters, kind of claustrophobic a bit, mm-hmm. I thought really worked. I don't normally get the directorial stuff, but that leaped out at me. That was tears moment number one for me. He played me like a puppet and then screaming and then collapsing. That is a character who has lost, who has lost everything and who has realized just what he allowed Morden to do to him and just what he did in return for being played. We haven't seen a moment like that out of Londo to this point, And it's amazing. And by the end, by the end, I am for the first time since uh, Morden asked him, what do you want in season one? In the end, for the first time, I, I am 100% sympathetic to Londo. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I I guess I'll be a little bit of the, the wet blanket there. I'm not a huge fan of that scene. Um, I do like the direction. I thought that was very well done. But I kind of felt like the the fact that it was being directed in such close quarters and it had to be so carefully choreographed, I felt like that showed a little bit in the performance hmm. and it, it did, it felt stagey to me, uh, the, both the performance and the, you know, sort of the blocking of it and everything. So it didn't, it didn't resonate with my heartstrings quite the way I wanted it to. The, the beginning of it where he's sitting in the chair going, he played me like that, that saying, um, but as soon as he got up and sort of started really raging and knocking things around, it just, I don't know. I, it, part of that might be because of, of my personality. I, when characters go over the top in that way, it it very, very rarely hits quite right for me because it just doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't quite seem natural in most cases. And this didn't feel as natural as I was sort of hoping. Still good. I mean, still still a solid scene, but not, not one yeah. that brought out the tears or anything. I, I could see that. But uh, for, for me, 
this circled back to things that motivate Londo and mm-hmm. to discover like two seconds before the intelligence officer says, before to, to, when he says it wasn't Rifa, and then all of a sudden Londo's like, oh, F word. Um, <laughs> and oh, then fudge. the guy He's confirms it. Um, <laughs> yes. And, 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 the, and the intelligence officer confirms it. And the magnitude of not only what he has lost, but what the poisoned chalice that he's gotten in return and all of that descending upon him, that that felt to me like, like the right motivation to tear up a room personally. Mm -hmm. Um, I was also, I guess, kind of charmed by the fact that the intelligence officer was so, so determined to finish his job. It's like, you know, (laughs) Oh, aren't you cute? Okay, dude, we get it. Okay. You can stop now. Really? And, And no, I'm going to finish my report because I did my job and I want somebody to know it. <laughs> Which is, it's actually now that you mention that, that's sort of an interesting juxtaposition because you have that character. It's such a small, minor thing. It's not, whereas, you know, you have Londo sitting here thinking about how am I going to save the entire planet? Mm-hmm. You have an officer who's like, no, I'm really, this is just me doing my job. It's one very specific, to, and, to, and still to the officer, a minor thing. Like the way mm-hmm. that. He talks about Adira as like, oh, no, really, she didn't matter much. And Londo saying, no, she mattered to me. And she mattered to him so much that he was willing to plunge his entire world. And if there's one thing that's always been consistent about Londo, it's that he loves Centauri Prime. Oh, yeah. He loves his people. And because he allowed himself to be played, he's brought his entire planet to the brink of destruction. And I think that is, for me, what made what would otherwise be an un- uncharacteristic outburst for Londo, because he's not, we haven't seen him be that person. He's very, you know, he's more for the slip dagger and the poison chalice, whereas, you know, you have someone like Jakar who will punch somebody in the face mm-hmm. <laughs> when, he, when he's angry. Like, that, be, un- understanding how badly he allowed himself to be played and what it has meant not just for him but for his planet which he is really that's always been what he wanted to do was protect it and do what he thought was best for it i think that's what sold what would otherwise feel like an out-of-place outburst for me yeah when adira was murdered he turned around and cried quietly before regaining his composure and mm-hmm. then was cold for the rest of the episode. But yeah. this time, it's all about his own culpability. And, and, and as you said, the, his, his, what he almost did to Centauri Prime. And uh, release the hounds! <laughs> it it's really it's a thing where he i think it's so much so much bigger than he realizes like or like he actually this is the point where he realizes actually how big and how terrible one decision can be and that's now the weight is now fully on his shoulders that's what that moment says to me is that he understands just how big of a burden he's now carrying mm-hmm 
And it did get a little bigger in this episode. This is actually the second episode in a row that we've had where mm-hmm. uh, people have willingly sacrificed their lives in order to defeat the the shadows or the Vorlons or whomever mm-hmm. because, you know, he blows up an entire island of of his planet. And, you know, some of his people had to had to stay behind. And he says that they knew full well what they were doing. So he knowingly sacrificed the lives of not just one White Star crew, but enough people to make it look like an entire island is, is still somewhat populated so that it's quite quite a burden but i have to say that 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 scene was another one of my my favorites where you've got morden mm. at first saying you know the vorlons would never attack a, a a planet so big the ships stay and they you know do their little banter back and forth and what are you going to do blow up the entire island well actually yeah click boom yeah the, the whole, the whole Steve- yeah the whole thing and and the, my favorite bit of that part is Londo just sort of pausing and looking at Morton yes. saying, you're scared, aren't you? Mm-hmm. And just mm-hmm. a complete inversion of their power relationship. Um, but uh, also going to uh, the the sacrifice that he asks his people to make. And I think that that's one of the reasons why um, I'm at the end of this episode, I'm sort of forgetting all uh, all of the horrible stuff that Londo did and feeling 100% sympathetic for him, with him for the first time because he pulled a Sheridan move. Mm-hmm. He he mm-hmm. didn't he didn't lie he didn't lie to the Centauri. Some of he asked some of them to sacrifice themselves. He told them what they were getting into and they did it. That's a Sheridan move. That's he true. it would have been it would have yeah. been it would have been very plausible for Londo to save his people to leave a skeleton crew there and not tell them what not tell them why Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Londo is actually, in a way, one of those one of those people, because when it comes down to it, and the Vorlons are coming anyway, because he's right. the one that's shadow touched, right. he immediately says, you need to kill me, and you need to tell them that you did it. You know, as Mitchie had said, the, the one constant with Londo has always been that what he has done, he has done, uh, you know, in in love with his Centauri Republic, and he is... 100% willing to lay down his life. I mean, had he, I, I firmly believe that had he realized that earlier, he would have offed himself had somebody, you know, record proof of that and have that person mm-hmm. send it off to the, the Vorlons so that the, you know, so the Centauri Prime had been saved. So he was also willing to lay down his life, which is, I think, another brick in that, uh, that edifice that left me feeling like you, Chip. Uh, you know, on, on sympathetic with Londo, I was on his his side for for a moment at the end there, which it's been a long time since I've felt that way too. Mm-hmm. I think Quick. if he'd actually realized it earlier, he would have figured out. He would have at least tried to figure out a way where he could convince that the Vorlons that he was gone, but not really mm-hmm. be gone because Londo. Uh, but I think the immediacy of that moment where he hadn't thought about it at all, and he sees the only choice he has in that moment is like, nope, you got to kill me. That mm-hmm. makes like, because it's in that moment, I totally buy it. I think if he had realized it earlier with enough time to try to do some, with some time to fake out the Vorlons, because or he could have just left. Yeah, he or <laughs> right. he could have and he could have, you know, yeah, had, come yeah. chase me over here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I would have seen him do doing something else. But in that moment where it is, a, you only have a few seconds to figure out before they fire that made it you know that felt very genuine that this is something that he would do he has no choice all of his options are closed no kill me this is the only thing that's going to save my planet i i do have a question um did steven at least enjoy morden's final fate 
Ah, the space yes. mob. <laughs> yes, he did, and he he appreciated the flashback because mm-hmm. he didn't remember with that amount of specificity because this was a long time ago. That, yeah. That, yep. You know, Beer yeah. talked about this. Three so years. He, he was he was impressed by that. At first, he was kind of surprised that Morden was back and wholly, you know, all healed, looking good again. But I, I did point out that he that Morden had in in each appearance since that first really gross one, he had looked slightly better and better, which Stephen just hadn't caught. So he right. was he was he was fine with that. He was just surprised at first, and then and then the flashback, you know, reminded him of that. And he, mm. I mean, his reaction was whoa that's dark like when you see from the back the, <laughs> yeah. the head on a spike he was I think he was a little surprised that they went they went to that level and uh, yeah I this is this is a moment that I have mentioned more than once in spoiler space previously because it is just it is one of my shining glories of oh, yes. Five. I just oh, yeah. love it so much yeah uh, oh my god Stephen first does that moment. so perfectly I mean you know the the difference between his cheesy grin waving in front of Morden's face and then he sort of looks at the guards and lifts one hand and yeah i i love that moment so much it is probably my favorite moment in the entire episode because it's so so petty so <laughs> petty for veer and it's it's an interesting juxtaposition where you have this is an episode where veer actually gets to be petty and vindictive instead of the voice of londo's conscience <laughs> mm-hmm. and on the opposite hand you have londo actually being about as moral as he's capable of uh when it's coming to, when it's coming down to being like no you ha- like you have to kill me take my life where it's being as selfless as Londo is capable of being under the right circumstances but Veer getting to be that maliciously petty where you don't I, you've never seen him be like that up until that point you get these glimpses of if he's really ticked off at somebody, he's capable of doing things, which is how he's lasted this long in Centauri culture. But getting to see that moment is just so delicious. It's mm-hmm. great. Oh, yeah. Well, does anybody have anything else that you want to cover pre-spoiler space? Because we have been going on uh, for quite a delightful time here. Yeah. I have a question. Sure. How did everybody feel about... The sort of the about face of the Vorlons and the Shadows going from being the most powerful players on the board to pretty much at the end where they're like suddenly children. Yeah. 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 Children saying to Lorian, like, wait, you're you're going to come with us, right? We're we're not going to be alone anymore. Tee hee. (laughs) I kind of liked that. In a way, because that the, if if we keep running with the parallel ideas of you've got you know the, the the biggest first ones, and then you've got this middle level of the shadows and Vorlons that st- stuck around because they could be the biggest uh, bullies in the play yard and mess with the younger races. You know, ultimately the psychology is that bullies are afraid of something, which is why they bully. And so the fact that JMS let that little bit of taking their godhood away from them i guess in a way mm-hmm. um I, I liked that i think it, i thought it was a really nice touch mm-hmm. yeah shannon actually that line bullies are afraid that's perfect because i feel like that's probably the reason that they're still here so many mm-hmm. of the other first ones have gone beyond the rim to see what the heck is out there uh, beyond the galaxy and these races haven't 
because they're the they're the bullies who are afraid to to go out into the real world. You know, you think about the, the the high school bully who is on top in high school, and then you know after that, things sometimes go downhill for them. These these guys don't want to do that. So I liked it because at the same time as illustrating that, it also really elevated Lorien. Because when you see these two races who have been the all-powerful, you know, gods for so long, suddenly, not really bowing down, but suddenly showing that they are younger and more frightened than this other person who has appeared fairly recently. Um, But it just, it kind of retroactively makes Sheridan's, you know, friendship slash collaboration with Lorien all that much more kind of important and impressive like yes of course Sheridan is going to go along with this guy because he you know we've been told he's the first of the first ones I think this is the first time that we've really been showed that he was the first of the first ones we've also been uh shown more so with the Vorlons than the Shadows but I think it probably also fits with the Shadows that for all their advancement for all their uh nigh-omnipotence the Vorlons and the Shadows can be just as petty and spiteful as the rest of us. Uh, whether it's uh, new cautious, bad behavior with Lita, or, uh, you know, uh, old Kosh sort of smacking back at Sheridan, calling him impudent, and then admitting that he didn't want to die, you know, things like that. So it's sort of, for me, it's sort of a reminder that they were never gods in the first place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that everyone keeps referring to them like just very de- definitively as bullies because yes they like that's what they became. That's what, but good, I, point, I, good point. Good point. I liked the I liked sh- uh, particularly Delenn smacking them up the upside the head with the fact that they were they originally stayed not because they were the most powerful but because they wanted to help. Right. And yes. that desire to help became twisted over thousands and thousands of years into now we're going to use all of these younger races as proxies to determine a long-standing argument over who has the right philosophy. Because really, we know better. And through th- thinking that they knew better than everybody else, that's they went from being guardians to being bullies. So I really, I kind of liked Delenn's whole thing of like, look at what you let yourselves become. You failed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. All right. Well, any any last pre-spoiler things before we hit our jump gate? This is something that I picked up for the first time uh, that I remember. The idea that Cartagia had hidden the information about Adira's murder from Londo. Mm. That, oh, that came out. Yeah. That, that, that leaped out at me as, you know, just the fact that, you know, if Cartagia was not, I assume, protecting the shadows, realizing that, you know, this might be the thing that might tip Londo into a full-fledged enemy. I don't know. Um, but just for whatever reason, I noticed that this time and was like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's like Cartagia wasn't, like, he was, he wasn't unintelligent. He was, he mm-hmm. knew, he knew enough to yeah. manipulate everybody else around him. It didn't mean that, you know, his whole delusions of grandeur weren't, uh, weren't a problem, but yeah, that that was. I think that was that was an interesting, uh, just character point, uh, reminding us that Cartagia was dangerous because he knew how to manipulate people around him. 
God yeah. save us from leaders with narcissistic personality disorder. <laughs> don't. Yeah. Don't. Um, I, will, I will say that uh, the second tearful moment that I had probably was not shared by most people, which was the very end of the episode. And that caught me by surprise. Uh, uh, Sheridan and Delin slowly approaching Babylon 5 and talking about talking about the future, you know. We get the explicit definition of what the third age of mankind is. It's actually the third age of everybody who wasn't a first one. Uh, that, that messaging about how it's, it's our responsibility now, and it's our responsibility to lay down something for our forebears and hopefully do a better job of it than the Vorlons in the Shadows did. <laughs> um, a, a lot of the times, if, if an episode is competently put together, a television episode becomes a Rorschach test for the viewer and that spoke to me and that i was surprised that the fact that this episode devolved or evolved into a philosophical argument and that i i was surprised that i bought into it possibly more so than i did when i saw it the first time it is a better episode than I remembered it being, in my humble opinion. Lorian had his Gandalf moment. I mean, it's really the <laughs> it it's taking the elves and going away into the West because now it is the age of man. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I just the the framing of that just strikes me as very like, yep, Straczynski's super nerdy. He's there are all oh, yeah. these there are all these references to stories that are part of our collective consciousness now and. I in, like I kind I, I enjoy a little bit of that, but Lorian to me like it didn't really stand out until I've been rewatching it. He really is space Gandalf. <laughs> <laughs> so I, true. I can get behind that. A couple other things. I just we talked a little bit about it in terms of character moments, but there were just you know here and there a snippet of dialogue that you know, was able to capture a dynamic or a relationship or a situation. Um, I mentioned earlier, Lita's, you know, captain, they are pissed. The, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pat Tallman delivered that so perfectly. And then at the end, of course, Marcus is looking at Ivanova, did we just win? And she's like, don't jinx it. <laughs> um, you know, little bits in there that JMS was able to work that in as well, as well as the large plot stuff was great. I'm not quite on board with uh, what Chip was saying about the end. This time, I, I think it affected me more earlier watchings. This time, for whatever reason, a couple of the lines felt maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe a, a phrase a too long. Mm -hmm. Afraid, not necessarily even hammy. I mean, cliches are cliches for a reason, but maybe just you know, if if he if he'd cut off like a phrase earlier or something. It, it felt a little bit like he was driving the point home with a hammer um, a couple of times. But, you know, I I can overlook. I, I can overlook. Yeah, it, it, it maybe felt a little on the nose and a little bit clunky in the way that it was done, I think. Um, but that's, I think for me, that's in comparison to the television that I have seen between then and now. I think the first time it it was very smooth for me that the actually the one time I did have a, a teary moment uh, where I teared up and it was <laughs> I, I probably not one that anybody shared with me but it was when the shadows and the Vorlons uh, well the shadows are just enclosing in, in everyone in the shadow cloud and everybody's you know starting to freeze and they're saying well you know nobody's going to follow you if you're dead and they start firing missiles at mm -hmm. at the White Star and when that first ship comes in right. and takes the hit and gets completely destroyed and they ask you know who is that and you know you find out at like 
out of the corner of my eye, I thought it was another white star. And then I find out, no, it was a Drazi ship. Yep. Like I just, my heart leapt up into my throat and I was like, oh my God, that was, that was the moment where I got teary because I felt like this is, this is really it. This is everybody coming together. There's been so much petty mm-hmm. infighting and strife and stuff between the younger races. And this, th- finally, they're all on the same page for this one thing and uh, pulling together. And, and the fact that people are willing to just throw themselves down for these these people who are leading them it was that was a, a huge moment for me yeah another example of yeah. sacrifice yeah mm-hmm. yep yeah. i've had a lot of that well i uh, think that's probably a good a good place to 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 leave it uh before we move along um your homework for next time everyone is the episode epiphanies so watch that one uh for the next episode and before we i, move I don't on, understand we- there's going to be another episode <laughs> <laughs> Well, you got to have some falling action, don't you know how you know story structure works? This is this is the uh, this is the climax, and then everything else is just completely downhill from here. That's all there is. Nothing else exciting happens ever, ever again. <coughs> nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Um, <laughs> but before we go on and talk about what does actually happen next, Mitchie, where can the listeners find you on the internet? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Geek Melange. Uh, that is also the name of my poorly neglected blog, which I'm trying to do more writing in this year uh, online. Uh, you can also follow me on Facebook under my name, Mitchie Troda. And you can also find me with Uncanny Magazine. Uh, so at uncannymagazine.com. Uh, also on Twitter. And uh, you will find me all around the interwebs. Just do a search, you'll probably find me. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. So until the next episode, people do come and chat with us at B5AudioGuide.com, where you can find both of our, our spoiler-free and spoiler-filled threads and wonderful, wonderful conversation about this show. And, of course, you can find us on Twitter and Tumblr as well, at B5AudioGuide. Uh, but now it is time for us to talk about what is coming down the road. So I say this with all kindness... But spoiler phobes, please get the hell out of our galaxy, because we need to pot through this jump gate into spoiler space. So where the hell is everything going now that the Shadow War is over, guys? <laughs> if I it seem to remember going- correctly, there's a, there's a bit of problem back on Earth. <laughs> well, you know, I, I feel like this is said on the show a lot. It's all going to hell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, are you yes. talking about season five or are you? <laughs> yes, all of it. Yes. And it, like we, we all season five is the result of so much being squashed into season four because mm-hmm. they thought they had to wrap it all up at the end of season four. Yeah. Uh, but I, I feel like just knowing where they're going, what what they have to tackle in season four, particularly now is sort of like it has a very specific resonance uh so Mm -hmm. yeah and knowing what's like really knowing what is coming for poor londo is that uh it's really hard just seeing how happy he was at -hmm. the end of this episode Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah that actually that reminded me or not really reminded me that highlighted something that i hadn't really noticed earlier and that is that when londo is happy something terrible is going to come out of it like that's every single time when we see him happy (laughs) in born to the purple when he you know he discovers his love for adira 
that's the first time we see him happy. And it's actually Adira, eventually, who is the one who kind of leads to a lot of this stuff happening, as we were talking about in pre-spoiler space, because, you know, Morden's playing of him through killing Adira. He's also happy in the episode where he finds out she's killed. He's happy right before she he discovers she's killed and he gives that... Uh, it gives Morden the the key to the galaxy, basically. And then we have him here at the end mm-hmm. of this episode where, you know, Veer is saying, I think, you know, you deserve one night of happiness. And wh- where does he go from here? So it's just like Londo just can't be happy. That's just all there is to it. <laughs> and he can't be happy because of his choices. That's yes. the thing. Right. Yes. Every yeah. single choice that he's made, he's like, well, I never get to be happy. It's like, well, I feel bad for you. But every choice that you've made right. is why you're unhappy. Yeah, and for the remainder for the remainder of this season, he, he's not going to have quite so much to do because Centauri Prime is not at threat anymore. Uh, he is going to, and and he starts the process of trying to make amends with the universe and with Jakar, and mm-hmm. he and, and he can never completely do that because he effed up so badly. Uh, but you do see him. You do see him trying. You do see him trying, and ultimately, sort of succeeding in sort of getting it right. But it's too late for him. He will apologize to Jakar, and Jakar will accept the apology. Doesn't matter. He's still going to get his keeper slapped on him. Um, mm-hmm. That's uh, he's, yeah. He's already missed. How, however many of his choices, the eye that does not see. Um, if you consider Morden being the man who was already dead, well, Londo just chopped his head off. Yeah. Um, not sure <laughs> yeah. why it, Morden staying alive would affect things. Is it possibly? Morden or is it or is it uh, Sheridan, Refund. though? Yeah. Or Sheridan. Yeah, there's different interpretations. So Yeah, yeah. different interpretations. But, uh, you know, Morden was right. The Drock are going to be pissed and the Drock are going to take their uh, take their revenge on Centauri Prime, they're going to try to try to fill the void that the shadows have left. But what's coming in the future for Londo is his futile attempts to write the scales, but he's going to keep trying to write them. And this yeah. is this is this is the you know in, in the end when he gets that keeper slapped upon him, it is an act of sacrifice, and you are sorry for it, even though it's his fault. But up until that point, we at least get some of the best buddy cop shenanigans with him and uh, with him and Jakar. Yes. The point where they actually get that all too brief period where they actually get to be friends. Yes. Mm. That's one of the best part of the series for me is like they just play off each other so well. And that's season five. That's season five. That's good stuff in season five, everybody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Very true. Well, they do actually kind of work together through to get, you know, to do more things with while Sheridan is occupied with all of the Earth with all of the Earth stuff. He and Jakar kind of actually pick up the slack with the League of Non-Aligned Worlds. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. They don't, you know, we don't get to see them do as much, but we do see that they are picking up the slack that is being left behind because, you know, what's what's going to happen with Membar uh, after the, after the war is, occupies you know, the land a bit. Yep, yep, it really does quite quite a lot. Uh-huh. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I was thinking about in terms of future stuff, you know, this is this wonderful, glorious moment where all of the races of the universe band together in self-sacrifice and in unity to um, encourage the Vorlons and the Shadows to leave. And that's all great. Mm-hmm. Season five, the Narns and the Drazi and everybody else are going to be declaring war on Centauri Prime. And the infighting's already begun. And if you want to get even more maudlin, in about 800 years, the Earth is going to burn itself to a cinder because of the because of uh, fascism taking over. And it's going to take and it's going to take and it's going to take centuries for human rangers from other planets and stuff like that to help bring to help bring humanity back and bring earth back it's the (laughs) this there's so much promise but it's always two steps forward one step back and um Mm -hmm. and you know some of the some of the tragedy of uh season the remainder of season four and season five is uh just watching us meaning the characters slip back when they really don't need to be doing that yeah, and it makes you actually, you know, with the shadows, con- the shadows whole philosophy of like, no conflict and things will make you stronger. It's like, if this is what everybody's doing to themselves without any outside influence, it makes you wonder, like, how much worse would it have been with two two opposing forces in the shadows manipulating everybody else? Like, it's that question for me is always in the back of my head watching how things going like this is how bad it gets when there isn't any outside manipulation with a larger idea so what i think it's it's an interesting question that i think i don't know if struzinski meant to pose it but it's there it's like how much worse would it have been or would it have been as bad if the shadows and the vorlons hadn't still been hadn't still been there manipulating everything Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean it's it is interesting too that you know as soon as we get the the two parents heading off into the uh, other side of the galaxy, it's kind of like in a way it, it feels a little bit like the shadows one, <laughs> because things you know yeah. we had this sort of perfect moment of order, everybody working together like a well oiled machine, and then as soon as the uh, the force that they are up against is is gone, it just devolves into chaos for a while. <laughs> So, I mean, with bits of, admittedly, you know, when the, the when the worlds do come together, there's there's a bit of of order imposed. So it's not like it's the the shadows completely one, but it, it it makes me laugh a little bit how much struggle and strife there is in infighting before they can kind of get to the point where they're working a little bit together. The, the more things <laughs> change, the more they stay the same. Yep. It's like you've tried so hard, so hard to get the keys to the house and the car from mom and dad, and now they're gone. <laughs> mm-hmm. And for a little while, you're doing okay, and then inevitably, some somebody throws a giant party, and now the house is trashed. Yeah, and <laughs> uh, and Sheridan is part of that. You know, he yeah. his his first his first year as president of the Interstellar Alliance is not a, an overwhelmingly successful one, and. Uh, again, it'll be interesting to rewatch that and to see how that pl- how how that's executed, um, and you know, watching it again. But uh, I do kind of like the notion, anyway, the attempt that is being made to to show that this series is steeped in great man mythology. But every once in a while, it undercuts it, and every once in a while. You find out that a war hero really doesn't turn out to be a natural political leader and mm-hmm. screws up at several at several moments. I mean, 
the the other races falling upon Centauri Prime it happens on his watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the yeah. Uh, one of the things that I've been been watching for is you know the the Delenn and Sheridan sort of interaction there and how Delenn is portrayed in comparison to Sheridan because that's one of the things that's come up on the in the comments for uh, for our website is that at a, at a certain point some listeners feel that Delenn is really sidelined because because Sheridan is is the great man and I don't remember mm. I don't remember the end of the series well enough to be able to, to form an opinion on that at this point so I'm you know rewatching with a very close eye to that and so far I have been very very pleased at the way that the series has had them you know especially this episode they are literally shoulder to shoulder all the way through this and yes mm-hmm. you know you can see that that the big damn hero is is Captain Sheridan but you know that's that's the way that this, this show has, has always Always been kind of framed as the the lead is the, the the captain or commander of Babylon Five, and that's not a thing that was ever going to change. So, given the fact that he is the quote unquote you know sort of main character of the ensemble of this show, uh, he is very much well matched by Delenn in this episode. You know, she she does her own thing, he does his own thing. You know, because they're each taken by a different side of the force. But when every scene working up to that, you have you know Sheridan saying something, Delenn giving him the answer or knowing something and saying something back. They're very very well balanced, even in the amount of dialogue that they they get in most throughout most of this. So so up until now, I am very pleased with with Delenn as a force to be reckoned with in and of herself. You know, even separate from from Sheridan and I don't remember a lot about the Mimbari Civil War stuff I just kind of have the the broad strokes of it in my mind so I'm really excited to watch that and sort of see how it plays out and how how she fares compared to how Sheridan fares I really I remember really really liking the Mimbari Civil War stuff because it was I felt like it was a chance to balance out giving Delenn something to do that shows that she has just as much charisma as much um, will as Sheridan has because she's dealing with something similar with her own people and what she's willing to put herself through uh, in order to fix it without asking for help from him at all. She like she barely says anything to him about what's going on with Membar when she goes off to deal with it. And she only talks to him about it at when she comes back because she's like, nope, you've got your own problem and your own planet to deal with. I'm going to go do my thing. And she I feel like she does that knowing that he is he trusts her abilities. So when she says I can handle it, be like, OK, go do your thing. I wish you luck. I will see you when you get back. Yeah, I'm wondering if some some of the things that uh, the the folks that are commenting on that spoiler thread are remembering. Um, I'm I'm trying to pay close attention too because the episode where they go through like you know a million years into the future, what happens next? The deconstruction oh, yeah, of fallen yeah. stars. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So yes. the end of season four, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Which was supposed? Yeah. They, which apparently they cobbled that one together right. really quickly because they because they wound up getting the, their yeah. fifth season after all. Yeah. One of my strongest memories of that episode is however many decades into the future after Sheridan's death, and you've got these historians um, sort of snarkily criticizing and cutting Sheridan apart, and then you've got this very aged Delenn who appears out of being a hermit for so long to basically cuss them out and say, don't talk about my man. Um, (laughs) If that is the last impression 
of Delenn from that series, I can see where these people might be coming from, which is why I need to, like you all, pay attention to the rest of season mm-hmm. four and season five so that that is not my, like, last recollection of her. Yeah, I feel I I want to go back and watch more of season five because I feel like that possibly is where she started, where they may have sidelined her a little more. Mm-hmm. Um I don't well, the, like, because uh, I haven't watched as much of season five. Yeah. I, yeah, there were there were specific episodes that I will go back and watch. Like I, I have a guilty pleasure for watching the episode where it's the the two maintenance workers who are our <laughs> POV characters during a you know random oh we've got pirates trying to take over mm-hmm. the the you know the ship or something. But I don't really. Mm-hmm remember that much yeah. of season five well uh neither neither do i but several things happen you've got delin having her um he was a good man moment in deconstruction of falling stars and then into season five you've got the linear subplot True. going on oh, oh, right. yeah. and and yeah. in the end she's pregnant yeah. and yeah. Those, are, those are those are sort of the big things that i recall happening not so much to Delin as around Delin. Mm-hmm. So, but but like you, Michi, it's been a long. It's been so long since I've seen those episodes. I I thought I was going to be missing Delin action more than I wound up to this point. I'm I'm right with you, Erica. She's been mm-hmm. she's been almost as integral to the plot as our big damn hero. She's been a big yep. damn hero herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, she's she command like we've seen her commanding white stars. We've seen her actually commanding battles. So it's not like she's oh she's the diplomat, he's the soldier. It's like nope, she is mm-hmm. just as much of a soldier oh. as he is. She knows strategy. She's been in yeah. the middle of fights. Oh 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 oh! We're only a few episodes away from the Drock encounter, the first Drock encounter, and her just oh. sort of snarling Ooh. into the camera into yes. this. Mm-hmm. That's that maybe my slightly second favorite moment for her behind the I'm, you know, the only person who's ever beaten the Severed dreams, fleet is yeah. behind yeah, me yeah, and yeah. you're in front of me. Go somewhere like go away. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. that, um, that is still the best Alain moment ever throughout yeah. the entire series. I've only got a couple more uh, po- post spoiler thoughts. Uh, one of them is that uh, going back to deconstruction of falling stars, you watch this episode and then you think about the final scenes of deconstruction where humans mm. are in encounter suits now and uh everybody's jason ironheart yeah basically <laughs> basically yes. but oh wow but, seriously but, you know, no that that was on the lurker's guide uh, somebody speculating um that jason ironheart will be the lorien a million years from now mm. oh yeah. maybe and i like that ooh no. <laughs> Never to be seen again, actually. He's just a plot point from season one that just sort of disappeared. I but, know, but, but hey, yeah. that's what yeah. fandom is for. That, that is what fandom is for. But uh, it it is such a it is such a note of hope that, you know, we, the collective universe, galactic we, um, are going to get it right eventually and are going to make better choices than the Vorlons or, and Shadows did, at least theoretically. Uh, the other thought that I had is, Erica, I from from Stephen's reaction to this episode, I predict that he is going to prefer Endgame as a big war denouement to this episode, uh, because that's going to end the 
Earth Civil War with a whole lot of shooting and mm -hmm. President Clark committing suicide, but not before he turns the defense satellites on Earth and Sheridan has to come to the rescue and there's going to be your obligatory uh, full speed ahead ram moment. And I expect mm -hmm. that I am going to like it less than I liked this one because this one was less conventional. And I suspect that Stephen mm -hmm. will prefer the convention because it's going to be more narratively focused. I think you're right. He does. Mm. I, I think overall, you know, there are some weird and surreal things that he likes. Like he loves the prisoner, but that is weird and surreal from beginning to end. It's just effed up. Uh, Whereas when when a show is tends to be more conventional overall, I think he he does prefer like a more kind of linear narrative plot as opposed to and maybe it's not so much conventional as he I don't think he loves it when when shows dip really far into the philosophical. And I think that that that's part of what his problem was with this one is the fact that not only did it dip into the philosophical, but it did it super duper fast. And it just was mm -hmm. was a very rushed sort of philosophical ending. And I think if, if yeah, when we get to the slightly more linear and and straightforward, uh, where you don't have to kind of do mental gymnastics to figure out what people are doing and, and why I think he will feel much more much more satisfied with that uh i'm just i'm i'm a little worried right now just because he is so he's so concerned like he just he i he was so disappointed by this that he doesn't have any faith in the show you know sort of rescuing itself and and anything else coming forward he, he even told me he's like i am worried like i don't i don't know what's going to happen and I, I don't know i'm the thing that I'm worried about is is that his disappointment and his concern for the future is going to color the next mm -hmm. few episodes so much that he doesn't enjoy them as much as he probably would have otherwise. So I'm just I'm hoping that the fact that we're watching this every two weeks and he will have some time to sort of you know kind of let it simmer and maybe just wash that feeling away that he'll be ready to 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 kind of get up and go for for what is coming next because there's some really great stuff still to come. But I can't mm -hmm. tell him that. That's the thing. It's <laughs> yeah. frustrating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, anybody else have any quick things to mention? Because boy, we've been. Uh, I mean, this is a big episode, and we've got yeah. we've got a wonderful guest, so it's it's okay to go long, but we don't want to keep people too long. Yeah, I have one little thing that leapt out at me when Lorian was telling Ivanova to um, to embrace her heart or embrace uh, oh, the concept man. of love, and I'm just like. Damn it, did you have oh. to remind me? Because <laughs> oh. then that's where your heart cracks. <laughs> oh, yep. just a little bit. Yeah. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, the, the fact that, that she and Marcus will, will not get happily ever after, even for a little while, is just like beating my head against my desk right now, except I'm not because that jars the microphone. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. I, I think we're just going to leave, like, I'm, I'm, I try to ignore the. Uh, the ending that apparently Straczynski wrote for Marcus and uh, and oh yeah the, Ivanova, the short the story yeah the, uh, the short story one because I'm like nope 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 that the is, short story you know. is basically passengers <laughs> yeah yeah oh, that's terrible yeah I mean, it's and accurate, it's like there's fixits th there's fixits and then there's no don't fix it like that <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm totally with you on the Marcus thing because just the just the moment in that episode, in the episode where he comes, she's like, oh, you came back on the ship. And he's like, 
well, yeah, you know, gave up my seat, blah, blah, blah. But really what he's saying is, if we're going to die, I'm going to die on the same ship that you're on. I'm going to be right next to you when it happens. And I'm like, oh, just... Why? <laughs> why couldn't they? Why couldn't you have at least given Ivanova a slightly happy ending? Just, just ah. Uh, mm. <sighs> and then you get to the deconstruction. You get to the sleeping of the light. The hell of it is, she might have actually gotten one if Claudia Christian had stayed with the fifth season. Yeah. Oh yeah, but we weren't they talking about doing things to her with the telepath guy, which nobody likes because they, Byron is right. terrible. Well, <laughs> they were, but it, they were. If they but didn't we have to cobble it. For the fifth season, yeah. then it might have been smoother. Yeah, and and in the end, she would have, you know, I nobody knows except JMS how the end of that season would have gone for her. If it could have ended in a note of hope or something like that. But uh, Yeah, because didn't they say he was like his body was cryogenically frozen or something just mm-hmm. in case? Wasn't I, I don't know. Not you on the show, remember. I don't think. Yes, I think that's I, part I, of the short actually, story. Actually, no, if you do, if no. you uh, if you freeze frame the credits to Sleeping in Light, the credits have before and after uh, pictures of uh, the characters when we pretty much when we first see them mm-hmm. uh, versus ah. their old selves in Sleeping in Light. And for Marcus, who gets a credit, even though he shouldn't have because this show was originally filmed for the fourth season. Uh, on the left side, you get our early Marcus. And on the right side, you get a certificate body cryo freeze. Uh, <laughs> Check okay. every in case in case of uh, in case of uh, renewal uh, technology miracles. or something medical <laughs> miracles yeah 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 wow. like like that and knowing where this is going for poor Mr Garibaldi I'm like oh yeah. yeah he really gets put through the ringer in the rest of season four yes yeah Stephen was Stephen was kind of surprised that we didn't have that Garibaldi wasn't in this episode not at all. even he, cited. He, yeah. yeah, he wasn't one of the uh, one of the the shadow sort of people that were talking to Delenn, and I I did I was hmm. wondering about that myself because we did have Doctor Franklin, who was also yeah. not not seen in this episode. So I don't know if Jerry Doyle just had the, this week off or or what the deal was. Yeah, that was the sub- I don't know that I, that that's a possibility. Um, no I was Jakar thinking either. as I was I yeah. was watching. Yeah. yeah, no Jakar. I was watching at the time um, and trying to think why these. Why these three or four characters? Because we start with Lita uh, pulling her in, and then it's Ivanova and Franklin and Lanier. And my first thought was, you know, is this some kind of, you know, and then it's Delin herself. So is this some kind of three three symbolism thing for the Mimbari of, you know, warrior and then worker doesn't quite fit with healer, but kind of, and then religious with Lanier? I didn't know if jms had something in the back of his head when he chose those characters or if it was just which actors were available i don't know i think I really I, I think it was more ad hoc yeah i i suspect it was just like these are the actors that are going to be in this episode or available for it so it's you know it's it's fun to try to come up with a watsonian you know reason for it and overlay but i think in this case it really was just a doyalist this is outside of the the narrative <laughs> this is what we've got so we're going to use it mm-hmm. that's my that's what I suspect. Because otherwise we have to just like flip ourselves over and tilt our heads a little too much to be able to come up with something there. <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah. fun. So I think JMS's whole manifesto for doing this show, besides, you know, I want to do a five-year arc television. Nobody's done this before. Um, I think I, I think he really does care an awful lot about his sort of personal philosophy about people 
taking care of each other and doing what needs to be done to build a great society or whatever. Um, but he's also really invested in the notion of, okay, the big war, but the stuff that happens after the big war is mm-hmm. just as important. Yeah. Just as uh, interesting to him, yes. Well, it's just as interesting to him. Stay tuned as we rewatch. <laughs> as, and, and because there is a reason why the final act of a movie tends to be pretty short. And this is mm-hmm. a long final act. Whether whether you're talking about the Shadow War or post uh, the Earth Civil War, he spends an awful lot of time on cleanup. And it's really important mm. to him, but is it great drama? We'll find out. <laughs> we shall see. Yep. So... I, I think that's a perfect place to end it. We we shall see, and we shall. Um, so I want to thank you again, Mitchie, for joining us. This was wonderful. Hopefully we can have you back again in Season 5, maybe? I would absolutely love to. I love talking to you guys about Babylon 5 because, A, it gives me an excuse to rewatch the series. <laughs> <laughs> and it's fun getting to like look and pick at things that I have missed uh, just because... Yeah, the first time you watch something, you're really, really into it. But this is a nice reason to go back and look at the episode and really kind of dig into where it fits with everything else and how well it actually works. So uh, thank you for asking me back. You are welcome. It's been a delight. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Of course, we hope you have all been enjoying this trip through B5, even half as much as we have. And please, of course, join us next time when Shannon has an epiphany. I mean, lead us through <laughs> the episode Epiphanies. Um, maybe she'll have an epiphany. You'll have to listen and see. Uh, hashtag teaser. Uh, but until then, this is Erica in Edmonton. Shannon in Durham. And Chip with a hell of an editing job ahead. <laughs> And you've been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5. <laughs>